Uh, I, I wanted to continue with something that we opened up last week. Last week was Father's Day, and, um, and we were talking about identity that comes from fathers, and there's, there's two aspects of it that I just wanted to continue with just a little bit today, um, and then Pastor Kim's going to kind of help me expand on that from, from a, a little bit different perspective. Aren't you glad we have different perspectives that we can bounce off of each other? Uh, uh, <laughs> but the area of identity, and I think it's, it, that's why it's so important for us to pray over people and to speak things over people so that they can actually hear them. What, what happens when we're, 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 we're speaking by the Spirit over somebody is we're talking about an identity. We're talking about something that, that God is saying about how he sees somebody, and, and this is the most critical thing in our life from the time we're born till the time we die is how we see ourselves. Because you can't go beyond how you see yourself. You can't, you can't do something that you don't see yourself doing. Uh, so identity is very, very critical um, You know, in, in our whole our whole nation, our whole world has kind of gotten into this. I can decide my own identity based upon how I feel from moment to moment, you know. <laughs> and uh, some people are very defensive of that approach. And I'm thankful that I don't have to just depend upon how I feel about myself. But I have something I can go to that's much more substantial. But it's very critical uh, what our how we, what we call ourselves. You know, I, I was, uh, you know, we could probably spend a whole um, series on talking about this kind of stuff because um, if somebody were to ask you who you are, what do you come up with? And, and this is a common thing. You know, you meet somebody, you know, we'll, we'll meet our guests later, hopefully, you know, and we'll say, so where do you live? You know, what do you do? And those are the things that kind of define our identity to some extent. How many kids do you have? Do you have any kids? You know, <laughs> do you wish you didn't have any? No. <laughs> you know, but all, all these things that are about who we are, they're a, a uh, constant influence of our life. They affect what we can do. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I was thinking about it during prayer this morning because God's a really amazing creator. He, he's... And, and, and I, like that, I like that psalm where David says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I say, oh, that's pretty pompous. But no, it, if you can't even praise God for how you're made, you know, <laughs> you know, you can look up in the skies and see the stars and you can think, well, that's pretty amazing. But, you know, just look in the mirror. And, and, and it's really amazing how we're made. And you think about it, what makes us occupy the identity that we've come to occupy in all aspects of our life? And it's had to do with a, a, a nourishing of our homes, of our environment. You know, if you were to live in another part of the world, uh, you might think completely differently of yourself. Yeah. I'm sure you would, right? Right? Because we're influenced by our surroundings, by our successes, by our failures, 
all these things have to do with who we are. And you know what? We connect to that is our name. So I don't know how, JT, that's not really your name, is it? What is, it's probably like, it's probably like Jeremiah Thomas or something like that. I'm just, <laughs> close. From the point though, you know, I was thinking about Buddy because, you know, Buddy's name isn't Buddy. It's, it's actually uh, Ronald Jason. It's like, no, he needs another name. He needs another Ronald Jason, that just, uh, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, buddy, that, that's a wonderful name, <laughs> but, but man, buddy, that just really works, doesn't it, you know, I think, I think, so when I think about buddy, I think, you know what, people love buddy, everywhere he goes, he's a buddy, and you just wonder, I don't, how does that come to pass, oh, okay, his dad. And he, he, he can't even remember his dad. But isn't that amazing how that affected? Yeah. Without even really knowing him. How old were you? You were like five or something when he passed. It's amazing. You think these little kids are going to remember. They don't remember a lot, you know, when they're that young. But, but how much that, I think it's formed the way he is. I think it's formed his identity. Our identity is associated with our name. You know, uh, I remember my dad. I, I used to work with my dad, and, and uh, we weren't allowed to say, <laughs> okay, Dad, you're watching, so uh, um, he, he, I'll let him get after me later. But <laughs> we weren't. My, my father w- was saved in a time when, uh, you know, he, he, he took it for reality that you leave everything. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So everything that he was doing before, he put aside. There was a lot of substance that he no longer partook of. There was language he no longer spoke. There were things that he just no longer did because he associated it with who he was before. So he didn't have any of those handy words, you know, that you need. Like when you hit your thumb or something, you know. Some people can just, you know, comes right out of the abundance of their heart. You know, it's just filth and foul, and it just works at the moment, you know. <laughs> we do say sheesh. You know, it's, it's, it's not even close to too much, I guess. I don't know. But we weren't allowed to say anything that was even close, you know. S H U C K S was not allowed. You know, those kinds of things. Um, Shucks, I'll say it. <laughs> I'm a rebellious one. <laughs> C R A P, you know that kind of stuff. We we just don't, you know. But anyway, but you know what my dad would, you know what my dad would would say. Sorry. Yeah, I've had to compromise greatly in this. Oh, the the cross. This marriage has been a a compromise for me. Oh dear. (laughs) It's a wonderful compromise. Uh, Okay. Anyway, so. But here, here's, here's what my dad would say. I have a very really large crown in heaven, by the way. <laughs> Go ahead. What did your dad say? Man, you're earning some more right now. <laughs> but, uh, so what, what he would say, he, he would hit, he actually had some, he actually cut his leg with a circular saw. 
and had to go to the hospital, drive to the hospital. Had to. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he didn't have anybody with him. Anyway. Um, I'm just saying he didn't fix But not, not the big boobies. <laughs> I, I don't remember. I was probably six, so I don't remember uh, when he did that. But, um, but I remember he would do something like hit his thumb or something to go, or, or just do something wrong, you know, or you're thinking like something bad about yourself. He'd say, oh, Beerman. He'd take his own name in vain. You know, if you're not going to take the Lord's name in vain, well, might as well take your own name in vain, right? So, that, that might work. But I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, there is an association of everything about you with your name. Your identity is associated with your name. You have to have your name well, I'll just say it. When you vote, you really should have your name. You should, really should be able to prove that's what your name is. You know? <laughs> I'm going to talk about somebody here today, but remember, who, remember Jacob? When, when Jacob, uh, he was a scoundrel, wasn't he? He, he was a, a con man. He was, he was, he was somebody that was a, and, and he knew it. He knew who he was. But what, what did he do when he went to his father? His father could no longer see, and he, and he had a hard time really telling who was who. And his father says, who are you? And luckily, there wasn't ID verification. Actually, he came up with some, right? He put the, the, his skin on his arms and stuff like that. But he just, he just flat out said he was somebody else, didn't he? He said, I'm Esau. He wasn't Esau. But it worked. The name was necessary for the blessing. There's a, a, a need for name. And so what do, what do people do today? I, I know I'm just pontificating here a little bit about this because I think it's necessary for us to understand this. So, so if there's going to be a change of identity, oftentimes there's a change of name. So you don't get in the ring and, and get ready to beat somebody up with John Smith. Now, John Smith is going to get in the ring now. No, you, you make it like Mad Dog or, or, you know, something really, you know? You know how people do that? And a lot of times, uh, musicians and stuff, what are, well, they, they give themselves some other kind of name, right? Because the one they were given is just, it's kind of like Buddy. I mean, you just don't, but Ronald Jason just isn't going to work if you're going to go do what you're going to do. Can you imagine if, if she still had, so she had to change her name. Catherine Hudson? She wouldn't be flying through the air at the <laughs> Super Bowl and all that. No, you got to make it Katy Perry. But you see, there, there's for an identity change. When there's going to be an identity change, especially if you're the one that's grown up knowing all the stuff that you've done that has been associated with who you are with that name that you have. Well, Saul, uh, Saul Paul was a great example. Am I Don't get it. Thunder? Yeah, you're stealing. Yeah, just wait. Just wait. I'll, I'll turn you loose in just a minute. Okay. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so I want to just go through some of these, and we can, you know, I already talked about Jacob. We'll, we'll hit him again here real quick, but, but I want to look at the necessity. If we're going to talk about identity, that name is, is very critical, 
Who you are is directly associated to your name, okay? So if there's going to be a change of identity, there needs to be a change of name, all right? Are you good with me? All right. So a name, it's established through demonstrated ability or power or failure or, right? There's some people, you know, I, I thought about it. Sometimes, oh, another example here real quick. There's this guy that uh, I traveled with Mark and Trina Hankins with the ministry several years ago, and we stayed at this pastor's house. And now he actually works for the, the ministry that we that I travel with, and and he helps. He's, he's a cook. He he cooks some really good food and stuff like that. And um, guess what his name is? Dan Craig. Anybody know who Dan Craig is? James, James Bond. So I always I always call him James Bond when I see him, and he says, "Oh yeah, he stole my name." <laughs> It's, huh? I'm saying you can't just, you can't just say you're somebody just because you have that name. It, his name is associated with what he's done. Daniel Craig, it, he's, he's, it's the name of the actor, James. Oh, you didn't know that? Okay. Okay. Daniel Craig is the latest version of James Bond. He's done the last three or four of them, I think. I don't know. I think they haven't. Oh, so you weren't following me. No. I lost. See? We had See a train wreck. Oh, okay. I have to be the clarifier. <laughs> so it's it's funny though when I call him Dan Craig, I'm having a I'm having a problem because I, I'm used, you know, I'm thinking James Bond. No, that's not because he looks nothing like Daniel Craig. He's he's a much different uh, physique than than Daniel Craig. A very precious person, but but different, you know. He's his own person. All right. All right, okay. Leave me alone, okay. So there's, what is very necessary about the name, though, is it enables character also. So uh, we'll, we'll see this specifically with some people from the Bible, but the reason why God is working in our lives is because he wants to have character. He wants to have results in our life he wants transformation in our life. And it begins with a name, but it ends with a character. There'll be a character transformation with a name transformation. Okay? A couple more statements here real quick. To modify identity, you modify the name. You alter the image of self and its, stat and its nature. God inserted himself into Abram's name to enable his promise and his plan. So when Abram was already a pretty cool guy, you know, his name was already meant father, high father. But he had lived a long time not bearing very many children. He, he had been faithful to God for a hundred years, I mean. And he had heard his name over and over again to the point where it was almost like a mockery. He had lived the opposite of what the promise was, what his name was, yeah. right? right? 
And when God came down and, and, and he established his covenant with him, and he wanted to do something different in, in Abram than he had experienced so far, it was very necessary for him to call him some, himself something different. And it's very interesting what God did. He, for him and Sarah both, what did he do? He said, no longer shall your name be called Abram. Why bother? Because a name is necessary for identity. There will be an identity that will enable a character, even a faith, for Abraham to latch on to the promise that he would fulfill. It required for him to call him something, himself something different. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. He, for that to have happened, it required a name change. You would have thought, well, God's just going to do this. No, things don't just happen. God's made it possible. And, and you wonder, even for Abraham, God could have said, okay, now your name's going to be Abraham. But if he didn't latch on to it and begin to see himself with this new name, it could have passed him by. And we'll see that we've been given another name also, okay, going forward here. They affected his wife. Same thing happened with his wife. God said to Abraham, as far as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her named Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. What is that H in there? It's part of the name of God. He said, this is going to be a supernatural thing, so much to the point that part of your name, part of your identity is going to have me in the middle of it. And it's going to require me. But every time you say your name now, you're not just identifying with who you've seen yourself to be up to this point. You're going to see yourself as me in the middle of you. And it changes your identity and it changes your vision for yourself. So I'll just go through. I'm going to turn her loose and it's really going to be awesome. Just, man, get ready. All right. God adjusted Jacob's name to read. To redirect his purpose. Remember what happened? And I referred to him already. Um, <coughs> he, he conned his brother out of his, his uh, birthright. And he had to run away from him to, to you know, be safe. He conned his father-in-law out of all those livestock, you know. He knew who he was. He knew he was kind of a scoundrel. But he had this encounter with an angel, and it was, you know, it was the Lord. And he had this encounter with him, and this is where all of us are. There's an, there's an opportunity for an identity change where you can let go of that thing that's been a, encumbering you, your name. The, the name Jacob was con man. The name Jacob was supplanter, somebody that's going to do something that is going to take advantage of somebody else. And in the middle of that was this, was this grieving of the building of a nation that God was wanting to accomplish through him that required a name change. Yeah. 
And it was, it was actually initiated by him because he, he had this encounter with the Lord where he said, I'm not going to let go of you till you bless me with something beyond what I'm able to be with my own name. So he gets done with this, and he said, the sun's coming up, this guy he's wrestling with, and it, and it messes up his hip in the process, and the sun's coming up, and, and, he's, and, the, and so he says to him, what is your name? Why in the world does he say that? Could have said, good job, you fought me good, you know, you're the winner today, you get the prize, you get the medal. No, he said, what's your name? A name enables a redirected purpose. So it's very necessary to have this name change. He said, well, I'm Jacob. I'm, I'm, I'm a scoundrel. Nobody likes me. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Your pursuit of God and your... Per- and this very... Here, here's the thing that a lot of times the, the thing in us that we see as an inhibitor, God wants to take and he wants to put a new name on it and cause it to be a part of your purpose. In that name change was the name of the nation of Israel. You know, Abram was the father of, of all of them, but Israel was the name that would be applied to that nation. That's amazing. So, faith in a name becomes critical. So we, you know, we're, we believe in the name of Jesus, don't we? Well, what's so important about the name of Jesus? It's not just a magical incantation. You don't just throw in the name of Jesus at something and have it work. The name of Jesus is something that becomes not something that gets put in the middle of our name, but we get in the middle of that name. Because for a change of our identity, for a security in our identity, and who God has actually made us to be, we have to have a change of name. Is this all right? Okay. So this happens, and and uh, it's amazing how God did it for us in Christ. Because now everything that we are has to be, it's like I said, Abraham couldn't just have God change his name. Now he had to live in that new name. He had to walk out what that name meant, right? So there's faith in the name and it adjusts the trajectory of life. So one of the first examples after after the Holy Spirit uh, was poured out, remember Peter was walking down the street and there's this this. Lame man. And he says, such as, or I don't know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. And then uh, Peter begins to explain this. And he says, he's talking about this man. He said, he's talking about Jesus. He's actually saying, Jesus, he's, he's explaining how, this, how he's able to have this power. <laughs> and he said, you actually crucified him. And, of course, they're feeling threatened in in that statement in itself. Uh, But he said that this man, in the name of Jesus, through faith in his name, has made him strong. 
whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him. There's a lot of hymns in there, so you have to see which one's capitalized, right? So we know which one we're talking about. The faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So there's a transformation that Peter already had. And remember what Jesus did this oftentimes. He would heal somebody, but his real desire was to change their identity. Really? Right? So when, when he would heal them, he said, and your sins are forgiven. Why is it so necessary to have sins forgiven? Because sins define us. They identify us. Yes. Our failures are what have to be left at the cross. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So when, when, uh, when Peter, he said, such as I have, I give to you. What happened to that man? His whole life was transformed in the name of Jesus. What did he do? He rose up, not to just be healed, but to live in a name that he didn't have before. To identify, and this is where this is, this is really actually very powerful. That we have a name that 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 can transform our personal identity. This man was a, a a lame man, no longer was he a lame man. He he could no longer say, I'm the lame guy. And why? It's because in the name, he was completely transformed in the trajectory of his life by the name of Jesus. So the name has been given. It's been given to the whole world, but it has to be sought. So let me just hit this real quick because this is what we have. In Colossians 3.1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What is that? That's like how I was saying my dad. He said, no, I can't do that anymore. I have a new identity in Christ. Why would I act like I used to act? Amen? Why would I be like that? I have been put into the name of Jesus. Sometimes I think the worst uh, people that have the biggest extraction from the world have the biggest advantage because they can see the contrast. Sometimes if we've grown up in the church, we can get used to just playing with the world. Just, and Pastor Kim's going to speak to some of this a little bit. But there's... They become identity challengers for us, especially if we've known the name of Jesus because we see all the other things in the world that begin to call us to identify with them. And we let go of the name of Jesus for something that is worthless. Okay, so there's this, this necessity. We've been given that name that healed the, the lame man and caused him to have a different trajectory in his life but we have to pursue it. We have to set our hearts upon it, and there's no end. It's like praying for these guys this morning. There's no end to the possibilities. It's all up to us. But we've been given a name change for an identity change. The identity has to be completely transformed, though. I died, and my life is now hid with God in Christ. Amen? For character or life in the name, the 
there has to be a death of the old. So Galatians 2.20, we're familiar with this. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. <clears throat> and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It says, that identity, it has to die. And I, man, I... I just believe for revelation of this for us here this morning because it requires, it's a progressive revelation that we have to embrace and pursue. Amen? (laughs) That that ability of whatever Stephen Behrman used to be, all those failures that the enemy wants to slap on you as identity, all those victories. (laughs) I was thinking about it this morning. I'll, I'll put a, Password uh, as, an, as, a, as, a, uh, as a time in my life when I won a victory. You know, I'm thinking, man, that's my identity. Graduating from college, you know, it's like a big whoop in itself, you know. <laughs> but what did Paul say in relation to this? He says, I count all that stuff as nothing. To take hold of what's been taken hold for me. What is that? That's the name of Jesus, my identity with him. Let me just hit this real quick. I need to let my wife get going here. There's, 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 three, there's three areas of this that I want to just touch on real quick. Because what is the character that we get in the name? And I, you, you, this won't encompass everything, but I believe it's in these three things. First of all, you can't be a part of... You can't be in the name of Jesus. You can't take on the identity of Christ without being a part of his body. You have to be. As soon as you identify with the name of Jesus, you identify with everybody else that is identifying with that name. And you become an integral part of that. <clears throat> Romans 12, 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what we're, what we're doing here in, in this time right now is directly affecting our identity in Christ. It requires being a part of the body. And there's a, there's a deception in the world that if you've ever experienced something that's been contrary in the body is that your thing is now you can go be by yourself and identify with Christ all by yourself. And you miss out on most of the New Testament that's talking about walking in love, that's talking about lifting each other up, caring for each other, right? And you're missing out on the identity of the name of Jesus. Jesus prayed that we would all be one as he and the Father are one. How can you be that on your own? You don't identify with the whole purpose of the name of Jesus, the whole purpose of the cross, was to bring us into a body where we could be strong together. So the character that we get there, when we get in the name of Jesus, it's going to be a unity with his body. That's where love is given access, right, or application. It's also going to be holiness. You can't be in the name of Jesus and still identify with unholiness. I'd like to just... In the body, identify with unholiness. No, 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 no. Grace doesn't even enable you to identify with unholiness. Grace enables you to identify with holiness. 
It removes the power of unholiness over you and sets you free from sin. Not just sin of the past, sins in the future. There's no greater bondage than to know that you're still bound in sin, even though you've been forgiven of it. The power of grace is to deliver you from that sin in your future. No longer do you have to do that. No, I identify with Christ now. So it will be holiness. 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy. Who is this? It's the name that we're in. It's that name that we identify. You also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. We're identifying with him. He's holy. Let's be holy. One more thing here. Righteousness. Righteousness is an identity. Righteousness is knowing that you're made right. 1 Corinthians 1.30 has nothing to do with what we've done. It's by the blood of Jesus we've been put into the name. But of him are you in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What are we doing when we're glorying in the name of of Jesus? When we're let go of that old, old identity, we're taking on an identity. Who am I now? We should be able to answer, right? I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm an integral part of the body of Christ. The body needs me, right? <laughs> I am holy. Even though there's a lot about my life, if you knew enough about it, you could say, oh, no, 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 no. No, you're trying to be Dan Craig, and you're not. You got the wrong physique, you know. <laughs> I said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm in Christ, and the Father sees me in Christ, and I'm holy. And you know what that enables? The more you identify with holiness, the more you walk in it. You cannot be holy until you identify with holiness, right? Um, same way with righteousness. To be righteous, that means you're on a pathway that gets brighter and brighter. And as long as you're identifying with a pathway that's just dark and you say, I hate my life, nothing seems to be right, you fulfill the identity that you identify with. And you fulfill it in Christ, it will be righteous. Amen? All right. And my wife is going to share about lying vanities. I know. Well, it's on the slide. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How many look into, in the mirror in the morning when you get up, you get it, you get in front of your vanity and you look at it? What? Yeah. So what do you, what do you, I want to just ask a question. You don't have to answer, but it's a rhetorical question. What are you thinking when you look in the mirror? What do you, what do you think? Oh my goodness. I can't say gosh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, Lord, you need help. You know, ma'am, we got to get to the dermatologist. I need some help. I need this. I need that. You're getting old. Uh, you should have gotten more sleep or. You know, I don't know what. It, I just quit looking. It's like, see? It's just, <laughs> but you're looking some... into a mirror and it's telling you to think something, right? It's t 
is showing a reflection of something, and you've decided who you are, what you look like, based on the reflection of what you're seeing, right? That's good. So, um, you know, one of my favorite scriptures, and I, I quote it often. Let me find it here. Yeah, I'm not going to do this in order, guys. Sorry. Uh, is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it's in all of us as with unveiled face because we continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of God. We behold the glory of God in the word. We're constantly being transfigured into his very image in an ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. He's a spirit, we're a spirit. So as basically as we get into the word of God and we behold him, he shows us who we are in Christ. You know that Pastor C was talking about Paul and um, touched a little bit on it. And we know the, all the letters that he wrote. But you know that Philippians 3.10 when he said, my determined purpose is to know him and to know the power of his resurrection. He wrote that after he had been beaten, he had been abused. He'd, and and he, it was like 30 years of being in the ministry and he decided that he needed to know God more. Why? Because he saw who he was in God. He saw the potential of being somebody else. He saw that there was strength to be found as he could behold God. And so he was continually, and that's one of the things we've been talking about is just seeing God, knowing God more. Yeah. And the problem, I think, with today's society is we've, not we, but they've omitted God out of every aspect of our world. They're trying to get rid of God, and he is our answer. That's how we find out who we are and what we look like what our identity is supposed to be. We have to get into the presence of the Lord and talk to him and commune with him and get into the word of God. We can't find out what our, our, we're supposed to be, our identity is supposed to be without finding out from the creator who created us, right? We know who we are. We say, I, I'm in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But it has to be developed. When my kids were born and they put them in my arms I thought they were cute. Some of them, one of them had all kinds of marks on his face, but I still thought he was cute. And it was like, and then they develop and they grow out of some things and into some other things. And there's that development of who they become. And that now I look at my kids, I think, man, these, these are human beings that they, they, they're people. They're people that came from us and, <laughs> and, and they're amazing. I'm amazed at my kids. I really, truly am. They're such gifts. But they've become who they are because of their identification in Christ, not just because they were born from us. They were born from a man, but they've been born again into Christ. That one translation says they've been in Christed, not in Christes, in Christed. They're in Christ. Amen. And so when they find out who they are in Christ, they become another man. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about and Pastor Steve allowed me a little bit of snippet of time here, was um, how many know the story of Jonah? Y'all know, hey, y'all know about that man who was swallowed by the whale? It, not Jonah, I'm talking about, his, I think his name is Michael Packard or something. Just recently, he, was, he wasn't swallowed by the whale, he was in the mouth of the whale, and he made it out. I watched the testimony last night. He, he was in his mouth for 40, his, her mouth, I don't know what whales are, 40 seconds, something like, like that. And then it spewed him out. And he was in there thinking, I'm going to die, you know. So it was kind of neat to listen to him talk about it because I was thinking about Jonah 
And I was already kind of focused on this, um, this scripture and where I want to go with this. But um, look at Jonah 2. It would behoove you to go back and read this whole story. But I'm just going to, let me just tell you 2.8. I believe it says, let me, look, let me look at it. I didn't put it down. Jonah 2.8. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. From where? From the fish's belly. So you guys know the story that God called Jonah to Nineveh. He was supposed to go tell the people that they were wicked and dying and they needed to change their ways. And he was resistant. He was basically being called out into the ministry and he was resistant. He said, I'm not going. He had an idol of his own. He loved his own city and he refused to obey God. And so he goes off. You guys know he goes into the boat, and they have to throw him overboard because they realize he's the problem. He's the reason why the ship's going down, and they throw him overboard, and the, and the, um, the whale swallows him. And he goes to this whole... Let me just read it really quick. This is the Amphite. It says, And he said, I cried out of my distress to the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded all your waves, and your billows passed over me. Then I said... I have been cast out of your presence and your sight. Yet I will, yet, here he is in the belly of a whale. And he says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I don't know. He was in there for three days and three nights. So I guess he had time to pray. The waters compassed me about, even to the extinction of my life. The abyss surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms and the very roots of the mountains and the earth with its bars close Blah, blah, blah. And he says, you brought up my life from the pit of corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted upon me, I earnestly and seriously remembered the Lord. Well, thank goodness he finally decided to remember the Lord in the belly of the whale. He's thinking there's probably only two ways out of here, and I really don't want to go out <laughs> the way I, I know that I might be going out. And so he says, uh, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Now, this is the verse I wanted to get to. Those who pay regard to false, useless, here he is in the belly of the well and he's praying this. Those who pay regard to false, useless, and worthless idols forsake their own source of mercy and loving kindness. Look at that in the, um, in the New King James. Let me see what it says. That's not where New it living. Is. is it the New Living? Yeah. It's on the back wall. Those who forsake... Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. One translation says lying vanities, and that's what I wanted to get to. Um, that they're looking to lying vanities. And I, that, that phrase caught my attention this past week when we were in the, in the meetings. Uh, Pastor Trenna mentioned it, and I, I asked her, well, what does that exactly mean? She goes, I don't know. You study it out. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So this is kind of where this came from. But I, I did some research on it, and lying vanities are anything contrary to the word and the will of God is a lying vanity. It can be a good thing, and it can be a bad thing. But if it is against the contrary to what the will of God is for your life, it is an idol. And idols are things that keep our focus and draw on our heartstrings. And I would venture to say that probably every one of us here has some sort of idol in our lives. We don't realize it, but it's whatever is drawing your attention, your focus, your meditation, maybe your resources, your monies. It's what you identify with, what's set before your eyes. See, what you behold is what you become. 
That's why I read that first verse is when we behold him, we're changed from one degree to glory to another. That's the will of God for our life. But as we behold some other things, you know, we have eyes in our spirit. We behold ourselves seeing ourselves seeing ourselves in a different way, in a different capacity, with a different identity. Maybe we don't see ourselves the way God sees ourselves, sees us. And so we identify with something that we're not. But the problem is, is we meditate on it. And the word says that, uh, that what, you, what you're meditating on is what you become, right? What you're thinking on is what you become. So let me read this out of the uh, International Standard Version. It says, those who cling to vain idols, you leave behind the greatest love that could have been theirs. God's Word translation says, those who hold on to worthless idols abandon their loyalty to you. So what could be an idol? What could be an idol in your life? Is it a job? Is it ambition? You know, I know a lot of people are very ambitious, and they want to attain a certain level in their life. Maybe there's some, some goals that you have in your life that you want to attain financially. Maybe there's goals in your life that you want to attain, you know, to, to leave something for your children or, or to, I don't know, this can even happen in ministry. The Lord spoke to my heart recently, and he said, if you weren't doing ministry right now, how would you serve me? Would you serve me any differently than you serve me now? The problem with ministry is ministry can become an idol in and of itself. Actually, everything about our lives can become an idol if we don't put Jesus first. If, we, if it is not about him and him alone, everything else can become an idol. I know this because I know ministers who have fallen because they put ministry and what they feel like they're accomplished, they've accomplished in their life first, and they've fallen. And we're going to see probably more of that in this next year. Because God is sifting. He's, he's getting rid of some things right now. Amen? So lying vanities are deceptive. They're things that get in our mind, we focus on, we put set before our eyes, and let us think ways that we don't need to think and it doesn't line up with who, what God has said for us. Ministry, people. Maybe there's people in your life that you've set on a, on a pedestal. Accomplishments. Maybe there's pride. There's maybe wealth. There's maybe your health is an issue and it's become an idol. Maybe yourself, your self-will, what you want. What you want out of life. Is that what God wants out of your life? Because I know, you know, we, we just celebrated the, going of, uh, the home going of Michael. And the only thing that I really remember us focusing on is what a tremendous testimony he had. And his testimony ministered to others. It wasn't about his possessions or, or his vacations or anything else that he did in his life. It was all about who he touched and what he did for God. I know that's what we celebrated in my dad's home going. It was what he did for God. And the bottom line here is if we're not fulfilling the call and the purpose and the plan of God on our lives, everything else is vain. I don't know when, about you, but when I stand before the Lord and he says, what did you do with what I gave you to do? And I'm not going to stand next to my husband. I'm going to stand alone. That's one of the things he's really 
made it clear to me, you're not going to stand with your spouse. You're going to stand accountable before me by yourself, not based on any excuses. Well, I, I couldn't because of this. I didn't because of that. The, the people, Lord, uh, you know, what, what COVID, I couldn't, you know, all these excuses can keep us from doing what God's called us to do. But bottom line is when we stand before him and he says, what did you do with what I gave you to do? I'm going to stand accountable. You're going to stand accountable for what he gave you to do. And here's the deal. If we'll look, get up in the morning and look in the mirror, look in the, the Bible, the mirror, the reflection of who he's made us to be, who we are in Christ, and we see the abilities and the capabilities that he's put on the inside of us and forget about the past and forget about the excuses and forget about all the junk that's holding us back and we get our eyes set on what he has set before us, we will do what he's called us to do and he will say, well done, not thou good and faithful servant, not well you're done. No, it's well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen? So we have to focus and set our affections on things that are not our own will, but his will. Amen. There's a scripture that says, man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. I might have a plan. I had a plan for my life, and it totally went a different direction, but that's okay because I want to do what God's called me to do. But these lying vanities. I've asked God to show me this so clearly. And he said, the things that you set before your eyes, not just physically, but spiritually, but physically also, those things that you're, you're setting your affections on, your time, what your time is spent on, the things that are, that are set before you in private, the things that you're dwelling on, those have become idols. And those idols will either push you, to, oh, they will push you away from the plan and the will of God. And what happens is it causes deception. And remember, we've talked about deception. You don't know when you're in deception because you're being deceived. Deception is deceptive. And so what we're setting before our eyes, those lying vanities, those things that are creating uh, uh, idols, I want to do this, I want to be this, I've got to do this, and, and, and it creates a wedge between what God wants for you, because there's a deception there, and you don't even see that there's deception there, and you turn your back on the love of God, the mercy of God that's there for you, because you're looking at something else, and you're identifying with something else that you're not. That's the danger in some of the, the free things that we can access on com computers and the internet is, is it's, we have to be careful that we set a guard on our hearts, on our lips, on our eyes, on our ears, because those things can cause deception. And when deception comes in, then you can't see the plan of God for your life. You've turned your back on the mercy. This is Jonah, what Jonah said in the middle of a belly of a whale. He said, I've turned my back on the mercy of God. But I like, and, and we all need mercy. Y'all know that. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly, confidently, fearlessly, draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need, that we may obtain mercy. Where is mercy found? It's at the throne of grace, right? It's not looking at lies. It's not, it, it, it's looking at who he's created us to be. It's identifying with who we are in Christ. Like Pastor Steve said, it's being in the middle of him, and he's in the middle of us. Amen? 
There's mercy to be found there. There's grace to be found there. So in the middle of this situation that Jonah found himself in, he could have dwelt on his situation and thinking, this is it, I'm dead. I mean, that man Michael said, I thought, this is the way I'm going. I'm dead. But Jonah didn't do that. He didn't dwell and die. He repented. Look what the scripture says in Jonah uh, 9. It says, I will sacrifice to you with songs of thanksgiving. Again, here he is about to die, and he says, I will sacrifice to you songs of thanksgiving. And that's where that scripture that I quoted earlier, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, in a, in a whale, in a situation that seems detrimental, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. He says, I will keep my vow. What was his vow? To serve the Lord. Victory belongs to the Lord. Verse 10, then the Lord spoke to the fish. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it spit Jonah out on the shore. The Lord can speak through you to your circumstances and your situation, and things can change if you're not finding yourself in the midst of defeat because your eyes have been set on the wrong thing. That those lying vanities, those things that have been created in your heart to keep you from the plan of God. I'm too old. It's too late. I messed up too much. I miss God. All those things are lies. It's never too late. If you're breathing, if you got up today and you're breathing, it's, there's always a second chance. Amen? Amen. So what does this have to do with our identification it's the setting of the qualities and the beliefs that makes one person or a group different from another. It's the setting of your quality of life and your beliefs. So the Lord was speaking to me when I was preparing, He's, and he said this to me, what you identify with is what you glorify or what you magnify in your life. What you identify with is what you'll glorify, what you'll magnify in your life. If you're identifying with being just a worm, just never, not good enough. Just, you know, if people have spoken words to you that have pushed you down and you're identifying with those words. If the devil's been lying to you and telling you that you're not enough, you're identifying with those things. Those things are going to keep you in a place of stagnancy. And that's what's going to be glorified in your life. But that's not who you are. No. That's not who you are. I remember we had a, a we were in a service once and there was a, a prophetess lady came in and one of the things she would do when she would get in the spirit we, she would walk around and pray in the spirit and she'd say she'd come up to somebody and she'd say who are you who are you and the Holy Spirit would start to reveal things about this person very specific things names streets they lived on different things about this person's heart. And it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, this is your identity. Not what you think you are, but this is who you are. This is who I want you to identify with. Amen? So it matters what you think about because what you're thinking on is what you become. It's, form, it's what forms the basis of who you are and what you will become, right? Jesus said you will know a tree by its fruit. Y'all know that story, right? The, the fruit of the tree is simply a reflection of of the root and its connection. The fruit of the tree is simply a reflection of your connection. 
And you might look okay on the outside, but when I sit down with you and you start talking to me and you start telling me about your life, what's coming out of your mouth is the fruit of your connection. And what you're connected to should be fruit from your life of being hidden in Christ. Amen? So if there's other things that are coming out, then our connector is connected to the wrong thing. We need to identify with who God has made us, who, who we are in Christ, and that fruit of the Spirit will just flow out of us. How do we do it? We get, we get in the Word. We spend time in His presence. Amen? Amen. Amen. I like Ephesians 2, 4. It says, but God so rich, in, rich is He in His mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, even when we were dead by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together. He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. And he gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he's quickened, which he quickened him. For it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you do not deserve, that you are saved. You're delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. We are partakers of the divine nature of Christ himself. Amen? How many believe that? And he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him. Sit down is also a way of saying that it's a place of rest. We're We're resting. We're sitting next to him in the heavenly sphere in Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his kindness and goodness of his heart toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen. So if you're not impressed with who you are in Christ, I like this, Pastor Mark says this all the time, then you haven't seen him lately. If you're not impressed with who you are in Christ and you haven't seen him lately, you need to get in his presence and see more of him. Amen. Hallelujah. And one last thing I wanted to mention, never compare. Comparison will kill your vision and limit your gifts. As a friend of mine said this, but I added this, and it will disable the grace that you're supposed to operate in because you are graced to operate in a specific plan and purpose that God has for you. And when you start comparing yourself to others, you disable that grace and it annihilates what God has enabled you to do. You know, it's real easy to compare. How many have ever compared yourself to, you can raise your hand, it's okay. Probably every one of us have. But God has made us all unique, and he wants us to be the best us that we can be. Amen? We don't have to compare ourselves to others. We don't, because there's only one me, and I need to be the best me I can be, right? He doesn't need three hunters or two Pastor Steve's. He needs one each of us, right? No comments. <laughs> Even though we would like to have three, yeah. we only need one. <laughs> but it's amazing that we all identify with the same name, though, and we, we can all have that same identity, even yeah. though we have a different uh, purpose. Yeah. Unique purpose. Yes, we but need purpose. It all has to come from that same yeah. identity. It's important where our eyes are, though, we'll never identify with it. Right. We've got, to, we've got to capture where our eyes are. And, you know, when you talk to me, what's one of the things that stands out about who I am? Hopefully it's, you know, I'm passionate about God's presence. And, you know, w- when I talk to you, I don't know you yet, but uh, when I find out about you, I, I, you know, what would I say? What would people say about you? 
What, what, how, how would people identify you as? Let's be identified as those who've been in Christ, those who display the love of God, those who display his fruit, those who are operating in the name, in the name of you Jesus. You know what I think is very uh, godly and body of Christ godly about this is sometimes, um, you know, we're told to love and have affection for each other. And um, that can be a challenge for some of us, especially depending on who we're around at the moment. Uh, but when you start, how, why, how do we even love in the first place? Is because God loves us. And the more, the more I can identify and value who I am in Christ, the name that, I'm, that I've been given, that it's no longer Stephen Beerman alone, it's Stephen Beerman in Christ, that now it changes how you look at anybody else. There was a, a verse I was going to use. It says, you know, we even, it says, we even used to see Jesus by the flesh. It said, now we don't see, we don't see anybody that way anymore because we've been put in the name of Jesus ourselves. Yeah. And it changed, and it enables you to love as you should love, to care as you should care, because you're looking at people from, from the name, you see them in the name, yeah. even by faith. Yeah. You see them as, as not just who you're looking at, at the, on the outside anymore. Right. I don't just see Dan Craig. I see this amazing person in Christ. Yeah. Amen. Well, I, I like one of the things, too, that I think we've talked about this before, is um, when we treat one another a certain way, we remember that how we're treating each other is more important than the issue at hand because the issue at hand is going to pass, but my relationship with you is most important right. above anything else. And so when we're able to see each other in Christ, that way we can treat each other as such. Does that make sense? Did yeah. I say that? Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. And then we don't have to rebel against what Jesus told us to do is to love each other. Yeah. yeah. And hey, we have grace and mercy to help us through it all. Yeah. <laughs>